Welcome to The Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mom of six kids, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of The Crystal Payne Show. I have to be honest and tell you that today's guest, I had not heard of until a few weeks ago. And I usually don't have guests on that I don't have a lot of context for and that haven't read their works and been deeply impacted. But people who I highly trust, highly recommended this individual. And as soon as I got to meet him. I understood why. And now I'm so excited to have this conversation with Addison Bevere. He is the author of a brand new book called Words with God, Trading Boring, Empty Prayer for Real Connection. And we have been talking and I just, he's blowing my mind with his life story and all of that. And I have so many things that I want to ask him, but um, I'm just excited for this conversation and where it's going to lead. So Addison, thank you so much for joining me today. Crystal, thank you so much for taking a risk and having me on. (laughs) I would love for you to start with just introducing yourself to my audience. Yeah. So my name is Addison Bevere. I am um, a new resident to Franklin, Tennessee. So this is now home. I feel like I'm lying when I say this is home (laughs) because... Do you have to live here for a certain amount of time to call this home? You know, I don't know. And some people might not ever claim it as home, you know? There's so so many transient people here. Uh, But married for 15 years, have four kids, ages 6 to 12. Mm. 13. Sorry, Asher. 13. Wow. (laughs) That's 13. That's important. 13. (laughs) It's a big deal. He's a teenager now, and that's that's a big deal. And, um, you know, I'm passionate about how our lives were designed to be integrated expressions of who we are, purpose, Mm -hmm. relationship, um, connection with God, connection with each other. And that's what I like to pursue and understand in practical ways in our everyday lives. Have you always been passionate about that? Honestly, yeah, Mm -hmm. I have. It's, It's actually been something that's marked me from a very young age. I've always been someone who's asked a lot of questions Mm -hmm. and that got me into a lot of trouble during my teenage years (laughs) with parents and uh, my teachers and uh, parents of friends, because, you know, in that season, you, you don't always ask questions the right way. Mm. And I was notorious for asking questions the wrong way. Mm. But um, I think immature people ask questions to try to validate what they think they know. Mm. Whereas mature people ask questions to learn and to, develop an understanding, develop wisdom. So, yeah. So how did you make that shift between, you know, the immaturity and the maturity? (laughs) Because I think there's a lot of parents listening right now who are saying, I have that teenager who is asking those questions and Addison is giving me hope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think one of the things that my, my parents did really well is they, they apologized a lot when they didn't navigate difficult dynamics. Well, I would say one of the things that they didn't do um, particularly well, and they would say this too, would be they didn't create space for me to navigate and understand the tension that comes with the journey to an interdependence, right? Like mm-hmm. we go from dependence to independence to interdependence. And so much of that teenage process is a journey from independence 
into interdependence. Mm. And so give them space. Like the gift of the redo, I think is a massive gift, a practical thing. Uh, their brains aren't fully, uh, they're not fully formed. Like the prefrontal cortex is not working the way it's supposed to work. And so the gift of the do-over being like, hey, you just said this. I'm going to give you a chance to try that again or say it a little differently. Is that really what you want to communicate? Man, if I would have had that, I think there would have been a lot less blow-ups. So... That's so funny that you say that because I have this joke that oftentimes, you know, on the internet, when people are writing in, sometimes I think that words, you don't know the context, you don't know just where, how they're being spoken because they're being written. And sometimes I want to write back to a comment and be like, this is what you said. I don't think that's what you meant. So I'm going to give you another chance to try again. I've never actually done that, but some, some days I've wanted to, cause I've been like, I'm sure that's not what you meant, but that's how it came yeah. across. Yeah. Um, so you grew up in this home yep. with parents who will just, just tell us a little bit about your parents. Probably a lot of people listening have heard of them before and just talk to us about what that was like growing up. Yeah. So I grew up with, uh, amazing parents, authors, ministers, speakers, um, pretty high profile people within the Christian world. And uh, so I grew up with everything that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents did such a good job not being like, hey, you have to follow in our footsteps. You have to do what we do. And they also did a good job helping us navigate the expectations that were external expectations the expectations that people outside of our world, the people who didn't really know us, didn't understand us, tried to place on us. And so uh, all of us love each other. All my brother, I have three brothers. We all love each other. We love God. We love our parents. I think that's a miracle, uh, to, be, to be honest with you. Uh, and so that was, it was hard, though. It was hard being in that place um, and finding our own path. But, uh, but it was also such a gift. And something that I shared with you before we got on here is my parents are Italian, very intense, and they would, they would fight quite often in front of us, but they would always come back to us and apologize. Mm-hmm. They would always say, hey, we're sorry for what we did. We're sorry for how we communicated this. We're sorry for the way we snapped at you, whatever it was. And Crystal, that created a lot of safety. And what mm-hmm. I have found in my own life is like humility creates safety. And a lot of a lot of the reason why we see pride and arrogance and this need to be right is because people don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. They don't feel safe in a space to learn, to grow, to get it wrong, to to fail and then move forward. And that's something that my parents, they did really well in our family. Mm. I didn't know we were going to have a parenting podcast today. Yeah. I, I want to ask you like 50 <laughs> more questions, but I really want to talk about your new book. So Words with God, Trading Boring, Empty Prayer for Real Connection. Tell us your heart behind this book. Yeah, I, prayer is one of those things that pretty much everyone does. Like, even if people believe in God or not, like if, if the situations are right, or I should say if the situation's very wrong, a lot of people will turn to some form of prayer, mm-hmm. some form of reaching out for something that is beyond us, but in some way, in some sense, we feel like is within our grasp. But the reality is so many of us have been disappointed when we've reached out to God. Mm. And there's this idea of prayer. It's like, how do I have words with God when it seems like God doesn't want to have words with me? Or how do I know I'm actually having words with God and not just words with myself? Or is there a right way to pray? Because the way I'm praying, I'm not seeing the, the resonance. I'm not seeing the connection in my life. It seems 
there seems to be this disconnect. And so this book for me, it has that dual meaning of words with God. Like, okay, is there a right way to have words with God? And also it's permission to have messy words with God. And I think for so many of us, we've been presented an idea of prayer that is a formula to be solved, not a relational experience to be shared. And that idea of prayer has left us wanting, and it's caused us to move away from prayer and turn to other things for that sense of connection that we were created to know and enjoy and work from and live from and love from. So my heart is to let prayer out of its proverbial box and into the meaningful areas of our lives. Mm. So has prayer been something that you feel like you've always just gotten right? No. <laughs> no, in fact, and I share about this in chapter two, um, I I thought I was a pretty uh, terrible prayer. Um, I went through a season of five years where I navigated intense insomnia, a lot of pressures in my life, um, some health challenges, some different things that I navigated. And it drove me into a silent prayer because I was reaching out to God and there was nothing on the other side. And Crystal, I largely felt abandoned by God. And it was in this season that I, I discovered that silence, when it comes to God, when it comes to engaging with God, silence is not rejection. It's actually an invitation to a new way of finding words. There's a, there's a Psalm, Psalm 65, and the psalmist says that, that praise waits for you in silence. Like There are words that only form in silence. But the terrifying thing about the silence is there's a real voice, and it's the voice of the accuser that comes into our silence. And a theme that I developed throughout the book is there, there are these two voices over our lives. One is the great voice, which I, the, the voice of God. The other one is the voice of the accuser. And our voice, our prayer, the way we participate in life, the words we speak, the way we engage with each other is largely a reflection of what voice we're giving ear to. And so the first movement of this book is called The Canyon. I make the argument that a part of prayer and really like learning what it is to be people who pray, and I'm not just talking about the transactional prayer, I'm talking about the meaningful prayer, is moving through the silence so we can reject our old notions of prayer and how it works and what it does. Hmm. So you talked about how so many people feel disappointed with God, like when it's almost like you've, they've tried this prayer thing yeah. and it's just felt like, it just hit the ceiling. Nobody's listening. I don't even know that this works. What do you say to that person who they're just, you know, they're thinking, oh, they're talking about prayer. Like I tried that didn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, prayer, prayer is messy. And if you look at the heritage of the people who, who got prayer right, they describe the journey of prayer as, as a very messy experience. Uh, there are terms like the dark night of the soul that is, that are used to describe these, these journeys into prayer that, that come with darkness, that come with confusion and disorientation. And what I would encourage people, because I think largely we've been told, like, you can't bring your doubts, you can't bring your dissonance to God. And the truth is, God wants us to bring our doubts to Him. Like faith, which is rather important to God, faith is the ability to go beyond what we can currently see or participate in. Faith requires us to move through and beyond doubts. Like, if you don't doubt, you'll never really understand what faith is. And a lot of people, they think of doubt and unbelief as the same thing. But doubt is when we question our idea of God. Doubt is when we question how God will move, when he will move. And I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 142, giving us permission to bring our doubts, our complaints to God. The psalmist says, I lay out my complaints 
before you. And one of the most intimate forms of prayer is going to God and saying, God, the cliches haven't worked. The formulas haven't worked. When I cry out to you, all I get is silence. Like, where are you? What are you doing? Even Jesus, when he, when he died on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22, which says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus had to become like us in every respect, that he was tempted, that he went through the whole gambit of the human experience. Well, I personally believe the most painful, the most difficult dynamic that we navigate is this idea of wanting to reach out to God and know him and be touched by him and touch him and not connecting with him. And I believe in that moment on the cross, Jesus entered the fullness of the human experience. And later the psalmist says in Psalm 22, it's a messianic psalm pointing to Jesus. The psalmist says, you do not abandon the afflicted and their affliction. You do not turn your face away from them. And we have to go through that silence. And so I would, I would actually encourage people, like that's an invitation. It's God's invitation to you to let go of the things that actually would keep you in the cliches and in the platitudes and in the sentiments that really aren't doing you much good and move beyond what you can grasp and be grasped by something beyond what you've seen and what you've known. Mm. Because that's what we really crave. Mm. So there's also people listening who maybe they, they really long for this relationship. Like they want to have a relationship with God, but they feel like, I'm not good at prayer. Like, mm. I don't know how to pray. I don't know the words to say. I hear these people, you know, when I go to church and they're praying these, what feels like this really eloquent prayer. And I don't, I don't know how to put those words together. What yeah. do you say to that person? Well, the first thing I would say to them is prayer is more about silence than it is about saying anything. Mm. When, um, when scripture calls us to pray constantly, which is such a radical idea, right? Paul tells us in multiple places to pray constantly. It's actually an invitation into constant rest. Mm. It's this rest of the heart. It's this awareness that we are not gods with kingdoms to build, that we are a part of something much greater than even the universe that we can create within. And when we live from that place of awareness, we start to see things differently. We start to hear things differently. We start to see other people differently. And we connect the dots in ways that we otherwise couldn't connect the dots. And that is a form of prayerfulness. Mm. And I think so much of what prayer is has been forfeited because prayer is tainted by religiosity, which says you have to do the right things at the right time, led by the right people in order to get the right results. And Jesus, he had a really interesting conversation with a, a woman who was the wrong, quote, air quotes, wrong type of woman. And she tries to engage him in a religious discourse about which mountain they should worship on, which mountain they should go to engage with God at. And Jesus is like, the time's coming, and, and it's even now, when the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Otherwise, in other words, this isn't about mountaintops. This is actually about us surrendering our entire sense of self to God and receiving from Him. And from that place of receiving, we will find words. And Jesus did give us words. Like people will point to the Lord's prayer and be like, hey, here's our formula. No, it's not a formula. It's a framework. Jesus gave us a series of movements to engage with God and understand who God is, to engage with our disappointment, to engage with our pain, to engage with our needs, to engage with the frustration of this world, the trials, the temptations, the evil. He gave us a framework and he gave us a sequence that is really powerful, but it was never intended to be a formula. Mm. 
Are you ready to turn your home into a sanctuary of productivity and inspiration? Look no further than Home Threads, where functionality meets stylish organization. At HomeThreads.com, you'll discover furniture designed for the ambitious go-getter. From efficient workstations to chic storage solutions, they've got everything you need to make your home a hub of success. I got to order from Home Threads and I think of them pretty much every single day because I have this beautiful tree that I ordered from them and this stand in my office and it just adds the perfect touch and I love it so much. If you'd like to order from Home Threads, head over to homethreads.com forward slash crystal and get a code for 15% off your order. Because where your home supports your dreams, anything is possible. That's homethreads.com forward slash crystal to get 15% off. Homethreads, love where you live. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. I got to try out Armoire and I was so impressed. I've tried a few other clothing rental services in the past few years and this one by far has been my favorite. Not only did I love taking the style quiz because it was really enlightening and insightful to me to figure out what my style is and it kind of helped me to refine some things that I didn't realize before. I'm more of a classic style, by the way. But also, I was super impressed within what they curated for me to pick from for my case that they would send to me. And I have to tell you, so I got the armoire case in the mail, which is just a fancy way of saying the bag of clothes that they sent to me. And I have loved every single one. In fact, I'm wearing one pair of jeans that they sent me yesterday. I wore jeans and a sweater that they sent to me. And I have just been so surprised how they nailed my style, nailed my size, and have sent me clothes that I have loved. So they have so many different clothes to choose from, so many different styles and sizes. And I love that they're all very high quality. If you would like to try out Armoire, right now my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit Armoire Style forward slash crystal. That's Armoire Style, A R M. O-I-R-E dot style slash crystal to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry what to wear again. Try armoire today. So with someone who is listening, who's saying, I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord, but where do I start? Like practically, what does this look like? How do I walk this out? How do I have words with God? Do I just sit down and just sit there in silence? Like, (laughs) how do I know what to do? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there are many different types of prayer and prayer, like anything, is something that we grow in as we commit to. And what I have found with prayer is it's it's like a dance. There are ebbs and flows. We move in and out of of different postures of prayer in different seasons based on the the season of life that we're in. I mean, you're, you're in a season where you're navigating six kids, I have four kids, right? It's, there's a lot. And prayer looks different 
in that season than it probably does when there are no kids in the house or before kids are in the house. And so what I would tell people, and, and I actually have a chapter in the book where I write about this, is just, I am here. It's a very, very simple prayer. It has three dimensions. First dimension, I am here, is a surrender to place. I am here right now with you, Crystal. I can't be anywhere else. I don't have the ability to be anywhere other than where I am right now. So why not be present? So often we miss the presence of God because we're not present to the presence. Okay, so the first dimension is I am here, so I'm going to be here. I just surrender to place. I am here. Second dimension is I'm not where I once was, and I'm not where I will be. I am here, and that's okay. Like God's doing a work in me. Maybe it feels like I've taken a couple steps back, but even in that, God is good. God is faithful. If I surrender my fears, my shame, my weakness, my insecurity to him, he has a way of redeeming it, of turning it on its head. And so I'm going to take a moment and say, I am here and God, I'm going to give that to you. And the third dimension is I am here. One of the names of God, Yahweh is I am. And so it's a proclamation that God is here with me right now. I'm not abandoned. I'm not forsaken. It might seem like I'm surrounded by thin silence, but there is something that can puncture that silence. It's a different form of connection. And I'm committed to trading these superficial, these lesser forms of prayer and connection for something that is actually going to reach into the depths of who I am. And I believe, Crystal, we were made for intimacy with God. And if you look at this word intimacy, it comes from the Latin intimere, which literally means into fear. This is terrifying business, but it is the business that we crave. It is the stuff that we are restless for and restless in our pursuit of until we find our rest in it, as Augustine once said. Like that, that is what we were made for. If we truly believe what God says about us, and that's what we were made for. And all these other things that we get caught up in, they should be an outflow of the purpose and the peace and the sanctity that we can have. I mean, try this on for size, right? Like for real, try it on for size. Live in the non-present and see how impactful your present is. Mm -hmm. Just see the effect on your life. And we spend so much of our time either caught up in anxiety, which is attached to the future, or regret and shame, which is caught, which is attached to the past. And our lives break down when we live in the future and the past because we were made to live in the present. Life happens in the present. Now, for those of you out there, you're like, well, I'm a planner and I'm future oriented. I have goals. Absolutely. As am I. But you can see the future through the present. When you're present to the moment at hand, you can see what the moment at hand requires of you and invites you into. And you actually find the foresight through the insight. You find the foresight for what needs to happen, where you need to go, what you need to do, whether that's with your kids, your business, your career, your education, whatever it is. So often we miss out on the goodness of life and the goodness of God because we're not present to the presence. And so for so much of this book, it's letting prayer out of the closet. It's opening the conversation so that we can see that in both silence and sound, God is speaking to us. And it's not just about starting a conversation. It's actually about joining a conversation. So practically speaking, what does prayer look like in your everyday life? Yeah. So for me, with small children, I have time in the morning where it's silent. I get up, I grab my Bible, I sit down, and 
I read scripture in a way where I'm not trying to master the text. I'm just letting the text speak to me. And I'm going to engage with whatever amount of scripture makes sense for that season. Um, and in that moment, for me, I constantly go through the gospels. So I read the gospels and then I read other things in scripture. But the gospels for me are... Um, are the anchor for how I engage with scripture, because I believe that Jesus reveals what is most true about God and what is promised about us. So in that intersection, we find the clarity to know what it means to live the life that God intends for us. So I have that. And then my wife and I will have some time before the kids get up. And then um, as part of my work, we do prayer every day for 15 minutes, first thing in the morning. So I do that with my team. And then in the evenings, Julie goes to bed just before I do. I have a time in the evenings as well. And I will intercede. I will pray for people. I will contend for people. I will, the Spirit of God will give me things about people, and I will send them messages and say, hey, I was praying, and, and I sense this. Does this resonate with you? And that happens, honestly, that happens multiple times a week. Mm-hmm. And there's a beautiful resonance to that where you listen and you hear. And there are times when I pray out, and I'll pray through the Lord's Prayer. I, I don't normally use it where I just pray straight through it. I normally pray like the first line, and then I stop. And I'm like, our Father. Okay, God, how do I live in our orientation today? Where am I making this just about me? How is my world shrinking in because my world is the sum of my own cares and concerns? Where am I not trusting that you are tender Father and that you are good? Like where, where is that breakdown happening in my life? Like that's, and I'll pray all the way through the Lord's prayer, personalizing it to what's happening in my life in that day. So, and I, and I share in the the book to specific practices, um, some of them very ancient, some of them more modern that we can use as we engage with God through prayer. Could you give us a few examples of those? Yeah. So. One of them um, is the prayer of the examine, which is uh, which is a um, Ignatian prayer, and it's a, it has a monastic feel to it. But please, like this is something you can do in your everyday life. But it's it's a series where where we pause, where we reflect, where we forgive, we extend forgiveness. There's gratitude, and then there's a a kind of a we go back through our day and we revisit the day and we rewrite some of the moments in our day that maybe we got wrong. And then we go back into our day and I line it all out in the book. I explain how to do it, why to do it. Um, another thing is uh, something called the daily office, which it's, it's a couple breaks throughout the day and it's a couple minutes of silence. There's, there's some practices that lead into that couple minutes of silence and then you move into your every day. And for me, what I have found is this quality time, this more structured time helps me be more aware of how God's moving and how God's speaking outside of the structured time. If you look at Jesus, Jesus lived in perfect communion with the Father. In John 5, it talks about how he only did what he saw the Father doing. And yet he also would steal away for an entire night one time when he was appointing the 12 apostles. He stole away for an entire night listening hearing. You think he was just praying the Lord's Prayer over and over again? No. He was listening. He was receiving. He was calming and quieting himself. And so much of the the disintegration and the fragmentation of our world, which is which is caused by real sin. Sin is the, a breaking. It's a tearing. And it happens on a macro level, on a micro level. It has happens on a systemic level, on a personal level. So much of that 
clouds and confuses how we can engage with God. And so we surrender to God through prayer. And I, I write it. There's a whole chapter on confession, the practice of confession. I walk through what actually is confession all about. A lot of people have been beat up with confession. Like you better confess every one of your sins unless God doesn't forgive you. But what we don't realize is confession is actually not for God. Confession's for us. God knows these things. If God actually is who he says he is, he knows these things. Hebrews 4 talks about how his word pierces between bone and marrow. It pierces between soul and spirit. It divides and it searches and it understands who we truly are. And it's from this place of knowing and being known that we're invited to approach God boldly with confidence so we can find the mercy for what has been and the grace for what will be. And that's where we're called to live, right between that mercy and grace. And so much, Crystal, of the rhetoric in our world today, the accusative rhetoric of our world is caused by us listening to the voice of the accuser, even mistaking the voice of the accuser for the voice of God, mm. believing like this is, no, this is God. Like this is how God speaks. No, that's not how God speaks. That's not. God doesn't speak like that. The accuser speaks like that. And the accuser has this world caught up in this spirit of accusation that makes it very difficult for us to draw near to the Father. And that's why confession is this gift that allows us to surrender the lie that is not all a lie to the truth that is all true. So you've talked a lot about the accuser and how we can mistake his voice. I feel like that some people probably are listening thinking, well, I don't even know. Like, how do I know if it's the voice of truth, it's God, or if it's the accuser? Yeah, it's a great question. I would, I would say, like, look at Jesus's experience. Um, we see his moment of beloved sonship when he's baptized. The father declares who he is, declares his pleasure over the son. And then the spirit leads the son into the wilderness. And what happens? The accuser comes and says, if you're really the son of God, do something practical. Turn these stones into bread. Do something spectacular. Do something miraculous. Do something special. Make something of your life. And the accuser will come with that tone. If you're really this, if you're really that. And the accuser will shrink your world. The accuser will get you so fixated on yourself, on what you're not, on what you can't do, causing you to miss out on the beauty and the opportunity and the promise. Now, the voice of God will move you outside of your comfort zone. So I'm not saying that the accuser is going to tell you the things that you don't want to hear and the voice of God is going to tell you the things that you really want to hear. No, but there's a tone, there's a tenor that comes with the voice of God that resonates with the truth of who you are, of what you're called to be. Those, those things that were written on your heart that you know, like, man, I was created for this. And there is a conviction, there is a pushing, there is a, a drawing, a wooing, but it's more of a drawing and a wooing rather than a forcing and a condemning. And, and, that's, and that's one of the ways that you can discern. And I, I do write about this in the nuance, because there's a lot of nuance here in the book. But that is what I have found, Crystal, be, to be the great challenge that so many people navigate. is like, is this the voice of God? Is this the accuser? Is this my own voice? And how do I navigate the difference? Mm. As we wrap up, I would love for you to just set a vision for people of how, if they start having words with God, like yeah. how is that going to change their life? How has that changed your life? Yeah. Yeah. I would say the most meaningful part of having words with God is when you realize the words that God has for you. Mm -hmm. Like 
which are amazing and they're beautiful and they're liberating and they're challenging and they're so true to who we are, who we're meant to be, who we're created to be, who we're called to be. And there's a lot of stirrings in us because we know like we're called to be something more than what we've seen. There's a right way to navigate that more and a wrong way to navigate that more. And then I would say the other component, which is so beautiful, is when we have words with God, God gives us words for others. And it starts to join our lives. It starts to connect our lives with people in ways that we otherwise couldn't connect with them. Our marriage, our friendships, our work, our purpose, um, strangers, I mean, whatever it is, we start to see people differently because we start to live in a world that's bigger than the transactional and singular view that we have of God and that we have of prayer. And that's my, that's been the challenge of my life is like, what does it mean to open up the conversation? What does it mean to allow prayer to become an expression of every part of what I am and who I am, the messy, the, the form, the not quite yet to be formed, all of that. What does it mean to bring that to God as a living sacrifice? Like, what does it mean to surrender to something that truly is beyond me? Because that's, that's what we're looking for. Crystal, we don't want, we think we want comfort. We think we want control. We think we want ease, but we don't. We want meaning. We want connection. We want purpose. We want to be known. We want to know. And I believe that prayer is not a mechanism that moves us into that next thing, whatever it is we're using prayer to get. It is the thing. Mm. And that's what I, that's what I want for people. Mm. And I was just thinking how that would change our world, not just in our own homes, but globally, if we were to catch a vision of prayer in this context and then have that relationship, how it doesn't just change our relationship with God, but every single other person. Like, I just feel like our world is desperately longing for that reconciliation, but it can only come through Jesus. And so thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, Thank you for writing this book. I am so excited to get to dive into it. Um, We will link to it in the show notes. It's Words with God, Trading Boring, Empty Prayer for Real Connection. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 